Hey everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. Glad that you're worshiping with us where you are. So glad that we can worship in this way and know that God is bringing us together, binding us together in love to worship him from all these different places where the church is seated safely this morning. And so I welcome you in the name of the spirit of Jesus Christ and know that we are one church lifting his praise together today. A, a blizzard of praise. Amen. Like the snow, like a blizzard, it's just piling. Anyway, so we're grateful to have you as one church. And as we're worshiping from home, this series, we've been receiving the scripture from some home settings. Today, we're going to hear from one of these young adults that we're investing in as a First Pres fellow this year, we're building into, and we're going to read John 14, verses 1 to 14. I encourage you to open your Bibles, and let's receive the word of God together. Hey church, I'm Isaac Norton, and uh, I'm a fellow this year, um, and I have the privilege of reading out of uh, John today, John chapter 14, verses uh, 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you, to, take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is in the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, that by the power of your Holy Spirit comes and, and touches us and reaches us, touches our hearts, opens up our minds, and moves our will to follow in the mission of the glory of your name. We pray, Lord, that you would draw us close to you by your word, that we would pray after your own heart in your name and see your glorious works continue. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our message today is called Life After Life. 
In our series, To Give His Life, we're talking about life after life. This passage, John 14, is one of the most common passages that I, uh, that I read when I'm doing a, a memorial service. And I, in fact, I can't read it without, um, without picturing faces because when I read this passage, I can picture, you know, families sitting before me and uh, caskets even, pictures of, of dear friends. So we read this a lot at that moment. Jesus knew when he spoke these words, he knew he had come to give his life, to give his life away. And what we learn today is that Jesus knew that in giving his life away, that he was gaining for all who believe in him, for all who would follow him, he was gaining eternal life, life after life. And he knew what it would cost to make that so. He was opening up eternal life for us. This life is not all there is. It's not all there is. And when you know that this life is not all there is, that changes the way you live this life today. Parents, have you ever caught your kids um, fighting over the last scoop of ice cream? They're at it. They're at each other. I mean, stuff is flying, sitting the walls. There's blood, you know? And they're fighting over the last scoop of ice cream. Maybe that's just boys, the blood part. I don't know. But then you know, as a parent, there's another tub of ice cream in the freezer, right? And sometimes it's like, how long am I going to let them go at this, right? But then you know, you're fighting over the last scoop of ice cream. And they say, stop fighting. There's another tub in the freezer. Just go look. Move stuff around, right? And have you ever been driving down the road racing to get to an appointment, you know, risking your life, risking the life of all those people around you just to get, and only to get there and realize, ooh, I had my time wrong. I've got an hour to kill, right? Stop racing. There's plenty of time. When you've got heaven before you, when you have life after life in front of you, it changes everything about the life that you're living now. Paul said to the church in Corinth, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, if only for this life we are of all people what most to be pitied, most to say how pathetic. But that's not who we are. We have life after life, heaven before us. We have an eternity opened up in Jesus to know the fulfillment of all of our heart's desires. And heaven in the Bible, it's not some uh, vague spiritual after realm. It's this world that we know restored and reset and us at home in it, as at home in it as, as, as we can imagine Adam and Eve being at the beginning in the garden before the fall. That's what we have in front of us. And it includes the fulfillment of all our heart's desires life after life. Stop fighting. There's another tub in the freezer. You get me? Some people see this as, uh, as scandalous foolishness to hope in heaven. Here's, a, here's something from Tom Holland's book, Dominion. It's an incredible book. He's talking about Karl Marx and what Karl Marx thought about religion. Here's the quote. What Karl Marx thought about religion. 
For Karl Marx, to believe in a deity was, for any human being, to exist in a condition of humiliating dependence. Religion, like opium, lulled its addicts into a condition of soporific passivity, numbing them with fantasies of providence and an afterlife. See, Karl Marx is among those who would call religion the opiate of the masses. It just drugs them down so they don't know any better. But what the world sees as weakness, we know is strength. Because if I have, if I have afterlife in front of me, if I live today with life after life, that changes the way that I live. It changes the way we look at marriage and relationships when we know that our, all of our heart's desires have, have fulfillment in front of them in afterlife, if not in this life. It changes the way that we look at, at time. If you've got eternity in front of you, there's plenty of time. It changes how we look at money. If this life is just a prologue, a precursor to life after life, well, it changes the way that we look at our, our resources and how we use them. It changes everything that we do. If today we live with heavenly hope, today we live with life after life in view. And what that means is that we start to experience eternal life right now because that starts to impact the way we're living our lives. When we know that we've got life after life, eternal life in Jesus in front of us, it changes, changes everything about the life we're living. Jesus knew that this is what he came to do. And he knew what it would cost to give us life after life. As we dig into this precious uh, passage, Jesus speaking here to his disciples at the Last Supper, very intimate, very precious. I wanna show you three scandals, three scandalous claims that Jesus makes in the sweetness of this passage as he declares to us with absolute clarity that he came to give his life to gain life after life. Three scandals. Number one, the scandal of faith. Number two, the scandal of heaven hope. And three, the scandal of particularity. Number one, the scandal of faith. Verse one, Jesus speaking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe also in me. You know, you can only say that if you're Jesus. Believe also in me. And why can Jesus say it? Because Jesus is God. So you don't say, you, don't say, you believe in God, believe in me too, right? Unless you are God. So Jesus says that and he knows that he's God to say to his disciples and his followers, okay, I want you to believe also in me. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a scandal of, of faith. Scandal of faith. Why? Modern people don't want to depend on anything. We want to be independent. We want to be able to handle everything on our, on our own. We don't want to think there's anything out there that we're facing that we can't handle under our own steam and under our own strength. And so Jesus says, wait, 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 no, no, no. You put your trust in me. You put your faith in me. You believe in me. You rest your whole life in me the way you rest your whole body on a chair. 
You, you rest your whole life in me the way you, you trust in a bridge when you're crossing over a canyon. You, you put your whole life in my hands the way that you trust and believe in a rope when you've gone rock climbing and now you're, you're rappelling down, you're leaning back and everything depends on that single point, right? Jesus says, I want you to put that kind of trust, that kind of faith in me. Put it in me. Have you ever walked across the Royal Gorge Bridge? I mean, don't go today, probably. Put it off. But next weekend. You ever walked across that thing? You walk across that thing, and there's these, these, these boards, you know, these slats, and then they've got these gaps in between the slats. I mean, it's like an inch and a half, two inches of gap in between these. And I don't even think that's necessary. I mean, I don't think that's really necessary. I think they just put that there to freak us out, Right? but you walk along and, and you trust. You believe. Jesus says, put your trust, put your faith in me. Lean your whole life on me. Trust in me. And Jesus has just outlined how shaky and how scary everything's gonna get if you read around this passage. But he says, listen, no matter how shaky, no matter how scary, no matter how, how much sway there is in the bridge, you trust in me because I'm holding on to you. No matter how much you falter, I won't falter. You trust in me. No matter how much your heart trembles, I won't tremble. I am the rock of salvation, solid and secure. Lean your life over, not on yourself, not on your capabilities, not on anything else. Lean your life over on me. It's kind of scandalous. It's a scandal of faith. Number two, scandal of heaven hope. Jesus tells his disciples there is life after life. Verse two, Jesus speaking, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? See, Jesus is relying on, on trust here. It's like how many times have I lied to you in the past, right? Now you can believe me about this. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am, where I am. Never get lost. Now, when Jesus says house, he's not thinking of the kind of house that we think of, everybody under one roof. This is a, a household in the ancient Near East. It kind of had a courtyard and a gateway and walls around it, lots of little sub-houses and little places, apartments, where all kinds of people would come in and live. It's, that's what the, the disciples are picturing when Jesus says, my father's household. But more important than that is, is whose it is. Jesus says, this is my father's house. It's God's very home. And you have a place in it because of what I'm going to do. You just come on in with me. Jesus knows he is preparing a life after life for us. And he can see the whole thing. We can't see. We only get glimpses of it. I mean, I can't hand you blueprints. I can't, I can't show you a glossy prospectus, you know. But we know that, that Jesus is going to prepare this place. And he does tell us, and we do know some things about it. What do we know? We know that it's good. We know that it's there. We know that it's good. We know that it's the, the restoration, the, 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 the fixing of all this pain and brokenness that we experience in fallen creation. We know that it's the eternal establishment of God's 
Justice, God's justice. What's justice? Life the way God wants it lived is eternally established in this, in this life after life. And you know what else? We know that our desires will be fulfilled there. Our desires will be fulfilled. Do you know that, that the desires that you've got, folks, even the, the twisted parts, the, the evil things, the perverted desires in your heart, they come from a root, a root of desire, a root of need. And here's the thing. God is going to fulfill the true, the good thing at the root of your desires. You're trying to fill that need in the wrong way, but, but God is going to fulfill the desires of your heart, if not in this life, in Christ, then in the next. Here's what I mean. Someone says, um, Someone says, hey, I, I know I, I do this. I, I eat food to push away feelings of loneliness, right? Say, look, that's, what you've got there is a desire down at the root of it, a desire for community, a desire to, to, to love and to be loved, to know others and to be known by others. That's a good desire. And God's going to fulfill that desire, if not in this life, in the next you know, and not with, a, not with a bag of Oreos, right? He's gonna fulfill the real thing with the real good stuff that God has for you. Someone says, I use, I use women to feel important or uh, I use men and male attention to find worth. Well, at the root of that is a desire to be valued, to be known for the value that, that you have. God's gonna fulfill that desire. If not in this life, then in the next. You say, well, I gather money, I gather it up. I mean, I gather it up because I'm, I'm kind of out of fear. I want security and I want, I, want, um, I want power. Well, there's a desire there to be safe and, and to know that your family is, is taken care of and, and God's going to fulfill that desire, that desire, the root of the desire, not the way that it's gotten twisted and bent along the way of life in this world. Do you understand? If not in this life, then in the next, in Christ is the fulfillment of all your heart's desires. There's life after life, and it changes the way we live today. Now, some people think that's scandalous to live with a, a heaven hope, a future vision. It's like you're just trying to escape the bad stuff of this world by dreaming of some fantasy afterlife where everything comes true for you, right? It's, it's, that's foolishness. It's, it's scandalous. Well, I understand the point. I understand why people think that sometimes. But listen, a couple things. One, some things in, in this life are impossible to overcome. And heaven hope is a very real consolation. Imagine the woman who can't walk, the, the child who can't see, the, the veteran who's, who's lost a limb, Heaven hope is a very real consolation. But then also there's, there's people who say that, well, if you think too much about heaven and the future consolation, then you're not gonna get involved in the problems of this world. You're just gonna say, oh, that doesn't matter. It's gonna work out in heaven, so I don't have to apply any attention to making it right in this world. C.S. Lewis addressed this some years ago in Mere Christianity. I wanna read to you a little bit from that. 
I quote from, from Lewis here, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, says Lewis, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Scandal of heaven hope. Third, the scandal of particularity. Okay, hang in, folks. Hang in here. Lean in. Don't fall asleep on your couch yet. Look at this now. The scandal of particularity. Verse 4, Jesus speaking. You know the way, Jesus says to his disciples, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about. How can I possibly know the way? I don't know where you're going. I don't know what you're talking about. How can I know the way? And Jesus answered, here we go. John 14, 6. Folks, church, let's say this together. Wherever you are, I want you to recite this with me. If you haven't underlined this and tried to commit this verse to memory, today's the day. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, say it together. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pay attention now. Jesus doesn't say, I know the way or I will, I will show you the way. He says, I am the way. Jesus doesn't say, I will teach you the truth or send you to find it. He says what? He says, I am the truth. Jesus doesn't say, I will show you the life if you're bold enough to live it. No, he says, I am the life. How do you know the way? It's because the way is Jesus. How do you know the truth? The truth is Jesus. How do you know life? It's in Jesus. And then he, he gives you this scandalous claim. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, if religion is, um, is really just some human experiment, it's just some spiritual journey, some way that we kind of experiment with trying to make our way through the world, you know, if it's just some, some way that we fool ourselves uh, to numb ourselves from pain and to mollify ourselves and to remember a soporific, you know, passivity into some kind of slumber, you all had to look that up, right? You're still looking that up. 
Great word. But if that's what, that's what this is, it's just fantasies of, of deities that love me and, and a future place where all of my pain is made better and all my stuff is all healed and I, I get whatever I want. And it's, if I'm just dreaming this up for myself to try to fool myself into life, then what, then what Jesus says here is absolutely horrible. It's absolutely horrible for somebody to say that. This is, the most, this is the most rude thing. It's extremely rude to say what Jesus says. It's mean. I mean, to say that my way, my way, hey, my way of fooling myself in life is absolutely right. But your way of fooling yourself in life is terrible and wrong, right? I mean, what a rude thing to say. It's a horrible thing to say. But if God is actually there, if God is real, and God is reaching out in his son, Jesus Christ, to save and redeem and reconcile fallen creation to himself. Well, then what Jesus says isn't rude. <laughs> it's a cause for celebration. God has sent a savior, a redeemer, a son. But in a world like ours, folks, we call it the scandal of particularity. Why? Because in a pluralistic world, to make the claim that there is one particular way to God? It's almost criminal, isn't it? But that's what Jesus said. That this is real. It's not a fantasy. It's real. And then he doubles down on it with what he says to Philip next. Verse nine, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You see, he's not just pushing you into some kind of fantasy land with heaven, hope. And... No, this is real. If you want to see God, look to Jesus. If you want to know the way home to God, the way is Jesus. Jesus came, Jesus died. Jesus rose again from the dead. And all along the way, he knew what it would cost to gain for you and for me life after life. Church, today is a special day, meaningful day. Because today marks one year in fact, it's kind of um, uh, a little bit of a bitter irony, to be honest, that we're worshiping empty room today, right? Because one year ago today, we shut everything down, we began to worship empty room, and slowly we've recovered. Because one year ago, we entered into this global pandemic, COVID-19, it, it broke out over the world, it began to touch our nation, began to touch our city, began to touch our church, touched our very lives. And what have we learned? What has the world learned over the past year? You know, I know there's lots of different ways to read these numbers. I get it, I get it, I get it. But stay big picture with me now. The number that is out there for our nation alone is 534,000 lives lost. And globally, it's over 2.6 million. That means that, that, you know, there were days in this, in this pandemic here in our country where we were losing 4,000 people 
per day, day after day. I remember where I was on September 11th, 2001, don't you? And I watched, I watched the, the building burning when the second plane hit the, the second building. And then I heard about the Pentagon, I heard about Shanksville, and it, three, almost 3,000 people died that day. That was enough for me to literally change my life. It changed the trajectory of my own life that 3,000 people were killed that day. 4,000 day after day after day. How do you make it through that kind of thing without hope in life after life? Jesus, he promised to bring life after life. He he gave his life away as the praise band comes up here and I close with this final thought, friends. Jesus knew what he was doing when he gave his life away. Remember this started, this all started with verse one. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, but I want you to believe also in me. Just focus in and see my face and know me. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he said. Be not anxious, he said. Jesus said, don't let your heart get all turned over and turned up. No, don't, don't do that. Don't let your heart be troubled. And you say, Jesus, how can you say that? How can you possibly say that to me? Don't you know the life that I'm living? I mean, look at the year that I just went through. Things have been taken away from me. My, my kids' year of school has been taken away from me. My, my, my liberties, my freedoms have been taken away from me. My, my restaurant, my job for some, you know, my business has been taken away from me. Even worse, for so many. My mom, my dad, my grandparents, my, my life taken away from me. How can Jesus say, be not anxious? Jesus can say it. And Jesus can mean it because he knows what it costs to make it so. He came to give his life away that all who believe in him would have life after life. Lord, we thank you for your victories on the cross that you knowingly gave your life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins to, to purchase for us, to make us your ransom that you would purchase eternal life for us. And we pray for the courage, Lord Jesus, to know that there's life after life and to live differently today, to follow in your name, to pray in your name, to work in your name as your mission continues in this world, to glorify your name and to trust that whatever we suffer in this life, whatever we go through in this life, whatever hits us sideways in this life, that you are the rock of salvation and in your hands our lives are secure. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.